Hello and welcome to another episode of Basketball IQ Podcast. This is the second episode, second week of the podcast. I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Um, before we get started, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Basketball IQ Pod. And please uh, like this podcast and share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with whoever. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, for today's week, we have the rise of Victor Olipo, the Markel Fultz situation in Philly. The Jaleel Okafor trade, Derek Rose's return to the Cavaliers, and also interesting, introducing two new segments of Losers of the Week and Winners of the Week, and those to be revealed at the end of the show. So to kick things off, we have Victor Oladipo and his really surprise um, rise, and he's really shown his talent lately. So this season so far, he has 48% field goal percentage. 43% from three. He's averaging 5.5 rebounds a game, four assists a game, one block, two steals, and 23.5 points a game. Currently, the Pacers are sitting at fifth in the East at 15 and 11 on a three-game win streak currently. Um, and looking at their record, they were supposed to be a rebuilding team this season. Um, they have six new players among their top nine in their starting rotation, yet they're sitting at 15-11, um, and 5th in the East. So I think that alone is surprising. Um, to, put a, to put aside uh, Victor Oladipo's performance. Um, recently, about Victor Oladipo's performances, six-man Lance Stevens said, Victor, the way he's playing is contagious. He's making everyone play hard. He's the first one here. The way he's playing makes everyone want to share the ball. Currently, um, Victor Oladipo is second ranked in his position at uh, by ESPN Fantasy. And quote that Steven said, uh, said really shows um, just the, the way he's playing, I think, really uh, attracts the team and they're really playing as a cohesive unit to the best of their ability, given the fact that they don't have the best roster, yet they are using it to the best of their ability and still getting decent results, even though people didn't really expect that. Um, not even I expected that um, out of this team, you know, looking at their roster. It's a rebuilding team after the departure of Paul George, and I think they've really handled it well, and Old Zippo has a big part in that. Um, I think part of their offensive, his offensive success is because he's taking more shots. Uh, he's averaging 17.5 shots a game, which obviously has to contribute to more opportunities to succeed. And despite taking more shots and previously still sitting at 40% from field. She's being very efficient while taking more shots. Um, I think in the system in Indiana, um, in which the game is free flowing and, you know, they can just do whatever they want because, I mean, they're not expected to do much. So they can just go out and play their best to their ability every week. And I think with their free flowing system, he's able to command the game to his ability and use his strengths to really get results for his team and for himself. Um, looking at their recent success, they uh, most notably ended the Cavs' 13-game win streak um, in which he had, hit a game-winning three late in the fourth. In that game, he had 33 points, eight rebounds, five assists, and also secured a win against the Bulls in OT with another late three to win the game in which he posted 27 points, eight rebounds, and two assists. Um, so going off this, I think 
Odipo really is the guy there now. He's the go-to guy if, you know, for clutch shots, the same way LeBron is in Cleveland. I think he's the guy they're looking to when they need something big. He's gonna, They're going to give him the ball, and he's going to do whatever he can with it. And I think he's really stepped up to this role nicely. He's aware of it, and I think he's handled it well. He's also aware... Um, um, of what his team needs to do. He said after the Bulls win, I was going to go out there and play as hard as I could on both ends of the floor and try to help us pull it, pull it out. So I think um, he knows that this team isn't the best, but he's going to contribute the best as he can to the team's success. And I think this is really shared lately, not just by him, but by the rest of the NBA. Um, guys seem just so much more mature than they have before. And I think this contributes to leave everything on the floor um, and just play basketball. I think guys are really taking their situation, their gifted situation. Um, they're really grateful for it. Um, so they they put their hearts in their sleeves and they're going to go out and play their asses off. I think we've seen that with a lot of rookies this year, um, which I've spoke about on the last, last week's podcast, you know, in previous years, um, we've had these guys where they're looking at distractions off the court, even on the court. Um, and still, we have Twitter, which contributes to a lot of beefs with players now. But I think when it comes to basketball, they leave that all aside and go play their hearts out and try to prove just how good they are. And I think that's what Victor Oladipo has done. Um there's obviously questions of will he be able to keep it up um, because we haven't seen this before. Is this just a fluke situation where um, he's just on a hot streak or is this the real Victor Oladipo? I mean, we'll have to wait to see. I really hope that he is the real deal because he hasn't been given the opportunity before. And now that he has been given it, um, I think it's it's good to see. Um, I like the situation to the one that Russell Westbrook was in last season in which the team wasn't doing much and not a whole lot was expected of him. Um, so given that, he was able to go out and be able to just play his hardest. Um, and I think that's what he's doing, much like Russell, Wilsbr Russell Westbrook did last season. He was able to not have to win every game just because they couldn't. So he just played his hardest and tried to get the win when they could. And if they couldn't, he still posted up a great stat line. And therefore, you know, they have um, – he won the MVP with his averaging a triple-double, um, which I think contribu – which contributed, I think, is the system in which they were in. Not a whole lot was expected of him, so he just went out, played his hardest, and did the best he could. And I think that's a similar situation where Victor, Victor Oladipo is. Um, which begs to the question um, – if he was on a better team, would he still be doing this? Obviously, maybe if he wasn't on the better team, then maybe he wouldn't have the game time to go out and do this. So, of course, that's there. But if he did, it definitely ask questions of his performances. Um, would he be more of a team player? Which he is a team player, I think. He wants to get his team involved. He, wa he still wants to win. Um, he's averaging four assists a game. That's not crazy, but it's definitely enough. Um, I think 
I think that he, if he was on a different team and that mindset was winning and not, you know, leave everything on the court and just do everything that your team needs and more of a situation of team player, then begs the question, would he be still doing this, be given this performance? Um, I'm not sure. I think uh, definitely be interesting. Um, and definitely a different. I definitely d- see something different out of him. Um, whether that's more or less, um, be interesting to see. Um, his coach, Nate McMillan, said, these guys have come in with someone of a chip on their shoulder to prove some things, not only to uh, some other people, but to themselves. And I think this perfectly um, summarizes their situation, Victor Oladipo's performances. I think he's really taking what's given to him uh, to full advantage. Um, he's able to go out every night and try his hardest, and whether they get the win or not, he looks good doing it. Um, whether that means getting a trade to a better team that needs him or staying on this team and help them develop, which they are maybe on a faster road than they even thought themselves to rebuilding. Um, so I definitely think he is an interesting and effective piece in the Pacers' rebuilding process. Uh, now moving on to the Markel Fultz situation in Philadelphia. Um, before we get into what I think about what's going on, I want to state a few things. Recently, of course, he's been the he was the top pick in last year's draft by the Sixers out of University of Washington, where he averaged twenty three point three points, five point five rebounds, and six point six assists a game at U of W. Um, So, of course, those are eye-catching stats and a pretty thorough and, I'd say, even talented, by which I mean there was no standout guy in that last year's draft. I think everyone was on par. But uh, Sixers felt that he was the guy for them, so they took him with those stats that he posted. Um, Of course, the number one pick. Um, recently, he's been out due to shoulder soreness after playing just four games. Um, and it's been reported that he will re- remain out for at least three more weeks, according to John Schumann of NBA.com. Um, and the thing I want to get into with him is, obviously he's been injured, so there's not much to say about that. But uh, Bill Simmons of TheRinger.com recently proposed an interesting trade that caught my eye and I'd like to discuss. So here's the trade. Philadelphia would get CJ McCollum from the Trailblazers and Portland would get Markel Fultz, Amir Johnson, and Philly's first-round pick. Um, Before we get into all the analytics about that, just to go over everything, CJ McCollum is averaging 21 points a game, 4.5 rebounds per game, and 2.5 assists. Um... So here's what I think about this. I think, you know, Philly, obviously this hasn't worked out, the pick, just because he's injured. But, we'll, of course, there's uh, have to time to see what kind of player he's really become. But I think, which, uh, which the thing that's interesting to me, which Bill Simmons touched on, is that, you know, all right, so it didn't work out. Why don't you just take a shot and – 
you know, you don't know what Fultz's future is going to be. Um, there's been speculation that this injury has led him to change his shooting form. Um, will that contribute to his game in the future? Who knows? But possibly, of course, that's a possibility. Um, the big thing is that you don't know what you're getting with Fultz. And with McCollum, you do. You know, you see the stats. You see the you see the 21 points a game. You see the 4.5 rebounds. You see the 2.5 assists. So you see it already. You know the type of player he is, and you know how he plays. With Fultz, you don't know. We just don't know yet. Um, and I think you, if you're Philadelphia, you just got to do business and decide what's best for your organization. Not that this trade would happen, but I think it's definitely something to think about and something that's interesting. Um, I think this makes sense because with what Portland have, they have no foreseeable future. I mean, the th- I mean they've had they've been pretty stagnant lately um, with um, the duo of McCollum and Lillard. Um, it's been the same thing every year about uh, getting out in the first round or second round of the playoffs. And I really see no foreseeable future with both of them being there. I think definitely if they want to improve going forward, I think something has to happen in the personnel change. It's either going to be Lillard or McCollum. Um, and the way I see it, they're going to get more from McCollum in my eyes. Um and the thing that I question is, can Fultz really be a top guard, especially in the environment where there's a lot of commotion in Philly? Of course, there's buzzing about this team. They're the funnest team in the NBA. Everyone wants to watch them. Joel Embiid is on Twitter every night, starting beef, beef with someone. Then he goes onto the court and all his antics and whatnot. Um, and Fultz is a reserved person. He's not a, an outgoing guy like um, Embiid. Um, so begs the question, could he succeed in that type of environment where the spotlight is going to be on a beat and around his team? Um, I don't know. Uh, obviously, he did not go to a school which made a whole lot of noise in the University of Washington, um, not doing it too much last year, although ranked highly. Um, of course, the spotlight was not on, on them all the time. Um and I think that getting a certified name in McCollum would allow for screenplays between him and Embiid, lots of threes between him and Redick, and as well as Covington, and also allow Simmons to have another option to kick out while driving the lane. Um, so this allows them to spread the court and give new play options, um, in which you don't currently, as far as I know, they don't have a uh, set system in which they want to go to when Fultz goes back, comes back. Um, so I think... If And, of course, when they do come back, what type of player is going to be? And they just don't know. I think, obviously, with McCollum, you do know what you're getting. And I think you're getting a really solid piece that can really contribute. Um, and, again, with his shooting, I think this would put them on par with the Rockets and Warriors shooting. Of course, these are teams that have known to, uh, that have revolutionized the NBA and pushed it forward with the three-point shooting. As well, of course, we have um, Embiid who's a shooter himself and the big man shooter who's really become relevant in today's NBA. And I think adding another shooting piece could really propel them to compete with the likes of Golden State and the Rockets. Um, Moving on to Fultz's former teammate, Angelou Lokafor. He was recently traded. 
um, to the Brooklyn Nets. So this trade, which did happen unlike the proposed one of Fultz to the Trailblazers, um, is Okafor and Nick Stauskas, and the, as well as a second-round pick to the Brooklyn Nets for Trevor Booker. Um, and, of course, we talked about this last week, um, and we I had proposed that there had to be a trade done. Obviously, Okafor had been advertising for a trade. I think, obviously, the 76ers did not want him, and it was only a matter of time, and here we are. Um, so looking at what Philly's getting, before we get into the corner piece, which is Okafor, they get Devin, uh, excuse me, Trevor Booker, um, who's averaging 10 points a game, 6.5 rebounds, and 2 assists per game. Um, and then on the uh, net side, they'll receive Nick Stauskas, who was a top pick, but as of this season, he has .0 averages. Um, so not doing anything as of late. But we'll see what he, what kind of role he has um, in Brooklyn. Um, and then, of course, Brooklyn will also receive Jaleel Okafor, who's currently averaging 5.5 5 points a game, 4.5 rebounds, and 5 assists a game. Oh, excuse me, 0.5 assists a game. Um, so not mind-shattering numbers, but of course we know, or we have an idea of what kind of player Okafor can be. Um, and of course, as we touched on last week, more than half of the teams told uh, ESPN that they wanted Okafor as a long-term option, but would not give up draft assets. And of course, in this situation, they did not give up a draft asset. Instead, they only gave up one veteran, which I think is a win in the Nets' mind. Um, getting two players as well as a second-round pick and only giving up a veteran, big man. Um, so that's got to be a win in their mind, but as well as a win in the 76ers' mind because they're able to get rid of uh, dead weight, honestly. Um, and that's another plate, That's another piece off their plate, uh, getting rid of Okafor. Um, and so the Sixers' GM had said that there would be no deal done that would be a bad deal for the organization. So in their eyes, I guess this is a good deal for the 76ers going forward, being able to get rid of those guys um, and bringing in a veteran, which I think is needed to this team that's very young. Um, and there's a lot of expectations for them going forward. I think a veteran is obviously something you need on every team, but especially with a young team um, is really going to help provide some guidance. And despite that, uh, Booker hasn't had any winning experience. He knows the league, and um, he'll definitely be able to contribute to their success and maturity going forward. Uh, and, of course, uh, Jaleel Okafor was a first-team All-NBA rookie, so there's definitely potential there. We've seen what he did in college at Duke, and, of course, he's not the traditional big man and traditional as in what we see today. Um He's not a shooting big man. He's a guy that's a nod to the retro uh, big man. You know, he's going to be in the low post fighting his way to get turnaround J's and get layups. Um, so I think this is an interesting piece, which we'll touch on in a second. Um, obviously, this is going to allow for Okafor to get more playing time on a team where he can be the go-to big man. So again, um, obviously getting no play time in... Philly, as they did not see him as being part of their future, 
or as an asset. So um, he's going to get the playing time that he's been desiring, and he's going to, of course, be able to be the go-to big man as they have no other guy there. Um, so not only is he going to get playing time, but he's going to be the go-to guy um, down there on the block. And, of course, this is a, a win for both Jaleel and the Br- Brooklyn as now they have a guy that they can just dump the ball off to and he can work his way under the basket. Um, and going back to that pick, uh, many analysts have believed that they made this trade not just because of Okafor, but mainly to get that second-round pick. Um, the Nets have stockpiled three second-rounders in trades as many uh, and trades recently. Um, and I think this is something that's interesting because recently we've seen a lot of second rounders have find success in the NBA. I think uh, college have been colleges have really been contributing not the biggest stars but all around good players throughout. Um, I and mean, we saw that in last year's draft that there was just good players throughout, no big star, but really solid players. And I think that they've seen this and they want to take opportunity to get some of these players with these three second rounders they've gotten recently. Um, so it'll definitely be interesting how that works out for them, uh, as they're still rebuilding and still plan on rebuilding with those picks and staying young. Um, which also begs the question of, should they have got rid of a booker with so many young guys that they're going to be bringing in? Of course, you need that veteran guide guidance, but I'm sure that they'll find someone else. Because there's of course, many veterans are always looking for jobs and the NBA. Of course, on as well on struggling teams, which Brooklyn are. Um, I think the best uh, this is the best scenario for the Sixers, of course, because they're getting rid of Booker. Uh, excuse me, getting rid of Okafor and bringing in uh, a veteran and Booker. Um, and Nick Stauskas, he wasn't contributing much, and I think um, T.J. McConnell has completely taken over his role. And has really become a hero, a folk hero to uh, 76ers and their fans. He's really liked there um, because he just does his job of hitting threes and hitting shots really well. And that's about it. But what he does, uh, he does well. And I think that's a big thing going on in the NBA right now as well. I think um, the Warriors have done this really well. And especially, of course, the Spurs in past years. Um, they have guys that know their weaknesses, know their strengths, and uh, they really stay away from their uh, weaknesses because they have guys that can back them up that have those strengths that they can really contribute to. Um, So along with Ben Simmons, he's a guy that knows he doesn't have the best shot. So therefore, he's able to make plays and get into a lane for good layups as well as kick it out for guys to get their three-point shots because they ha- he has guys crashing on him when he drives in, and therefore he has guys to kick the ball out to. And, of course, um, they're a decent three-point shooting team with Covington and J.J. Redick. Um, and so I think this is something that players have realized, that they need to play to their strengths and not to the weaknesses. And I think um, that's what... Uh, has happened here. They've uh, really want to play to their strengths and not to their weaknesses. And of course, um, picking McConnell over Stauskas is really uh, showing of that. 
Um, recently, the Nets GM said this is a trade that provides us with a good opportunity to bring in two young players who were high picks in recent drafts and gives them a chance to succeed in our system. And I think, you know, that's that. Um, they're bringing in two guys to the rebuilding system who are going to contribute decent minutes um, and try to get them back to the position they want to be in. Um, and, of course, uh, we touched on Stauskas and Okafor and what they can and can't do. Um, and I think this, whatever happens in Brooklyn, is going to take some time. And I think these guys are good pieces to have and their uh, process going forward. Um, I think that D'Angelo Russell, the point guard of the Nets, and Okafor will be an interesting pairing. We could see some dumps to low post for Okafor or some high screens set by Okafor for Russell to come in and make some plays. Um, so I think this will be an interesting pairing to see. Um, definitely not one that we saw in Philly, in which, of course, Okafor wasn't playing. But if he were, there is no true point guard as um, as Ben Simmons can really make his own plays for himself. There's no traditional point guard, a guy like um, John Stockton, who really used Moses Carl uh, Malone to his advantage to set screens and to use Carl to his advantage. And I think that's what we could see here. Uh, of course, they're not the same player, but I think we could see an interesting pairing the same way D'Angelo Russell and Carl Malone had one in Utah. Um, and of course, um, it'll be an, their gameplay will be an interesting contrast to today's traditional three-point uh, shooting. Um, and it'll be a nod to the dynamic point guards that in John Stocks and the physical big men in Carmelo Malone of the past. So I think they're going the more traditional route here, and uh, it'll definitely be nice to see something different compared to today's NBA, in which, of course, there's a lot of shooting and fast-paced game. And this in in uh, Brooklyn, we're going to see something more traditional and just dumping it on the. Uh, low block, and as well as uh, the big guy setting screen for the point guard to make a play. And I think that'll be nice to see. It'll be refreshing. And also a good something of uh, nostalgia. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to succeed at it, because currently no one else is doing it um, really the way that they could. Um, and so it'll definitely be interesting to see how they succeed and what system they uh, use. Um, and But with the three-point shooters they, the Nets do have, they can put them on the perimeter and it be able to space the floor with Okafor on the block. Um, of course, today's game is really about spacing the floor and giving opportunities for your guys to, to succeed. Um, and I think with D'Angelo Russell and Okafor pairing, uh, spacing is going to be key. And to have those guys on the perimeter to kick it out to, uh, is really going to be beneficial for when pu- uh, th- putting it on the block or uh, Russell making a play for himself isn't going to work. It's going to be good for them to have options on the wings. Um, and now moving on to the Derrick Rose situation, which has really been interesting and as well sad um, to see this 29-year-old who's had 24 injuries throughout the years um, so yeah, almost as twenty, almost as many entries as he's been, as he's had years alive, which is really crazy. And 
really disappointed to see. Um, recently, he took a leave of absence to, to, to think about his future in the NBA. Of course, this meaning he was contemplating retirement given these injuries and his current injury. Um, before he got injured this season, he was averaging 14.5 points a game, 1.5 assists a game, and 2.5 rebounds a game. Um, so he was fitting in pretty nicely um, to fill in the gap that Isaiah Thomas has left with his injury until, of course, D. Rose got injured himself. Um, and yet, uh, Cleveland has been able to work around that. Of course, they had that 13-game win streak that was cut short by Victor Oladipo and the Pacers. But um, his ability um, to fill in was showing. Um, he had a good role there until he got injured. Um, although he has been accused um, recently, of course he came back, as we learned this week, from, and he has decided to keep playing. Um, many people, though, have been skeptical of this decision and have accused him of returning due to his $80 million Adidas contract. Uh, but Derek has denied this claim, saying, I mean, I don't care about that. Not to be rude, I don't care about no effing money. It's not about that. I've saved up enough money. It's not about that. If I want to leave, I would have left. Like I said, coming back here, starting with rehab, that's my first step. Keeping it simple and just giving my team support, and then I'll see what, I'll see you off the court. So denying these claims, um, I think... I believe him. Um, I don't really think that money is an issue here. It's the injuries that made uh, that late made him leave. I believe in the first place. Um, I think, of course, you know when you have so many injuries, you've really got to consider your future and be like, is this what I need to should keep doing? And he has decided yes. Um, I think that's purely for the love of the game, um, and I think that. Hopefully, he'll be able to turn and show us why he returned. Um, so now he's intending to rehab his injured ankle. But this, um, but we'll have to see. He may, uh, may need surgery after rehab, depending on how it goes. And there's a chance that he'll never see the floor again for the Cavaliers. Um, obviously, this is scary. Um, and this is part of the reason why uh, he took time away given this injury and his injuries past, um, he's really got to think about, and he has think, thought about, um, is this what's best for me going forward? Of course, he has a family and he has a son and, you know, there's other things besides basketball in his life. And I think he wants to be able to, you know, stand up in 15 years and not have to be in a wheelchair. I think that that's a really big thing for him. And of course, anyone, I think anyone in his situation would definitely consider retirement uh, despite their love for the game. Um, I think we've got to understand that and not criticize him for his decision. Um, about returning, Rose said, I just figure, I was just figuring things out, thinking about this and that, Rose said, but I'm here for my team. I'm here to win. And that's one of the reasons why I came back. Am I concerned? No, not at all, Rose said when asked about his potential role. I'll be able to hoop. That's all I want to do, hoop and win. I don't care about all the stuff that comes with it. I'm appreciative, I'm grateful, and I'm grateful to be on this team. Um, given this, he's obviously denying the facts, that uh, the accusations about returning because of the money. Um, and you've got to see in his perspective here. I think 
this came down to, am I able to still play basketball? In his eyes, he says yes. And he's returning because um, he wants to win a championship. He wants to play. I think he loves his, the game too much to step away right now. Um, and I think that it, this, that's a good decision for him as long as he doesn't get injured anymore. Because, of course, if he does, that's really going to affect him in the future. Um, I think he definitely joined the Cavs this season to win a championship. He's definitely title chasing this year. Um, and I think because he doesn't think he can do this for much longer, he's only 29, yet he's already title chasing and um, taking a lesser role as well as less money and able to do that. I think he really wants to get a win uh, in the title game before he goes out, which I think he views as pretty soon. Um, as well as I do. I'm not sure how long he can keep going with all these injuries. And I think that's what he thought about. Um, and I really think he wants to be able to give it one last go before going out. Um, and to close out the podcast today, I'd like to introduce two new segments in Winners and Losers of the Week. Um, this is just a brief uh, segment in which uh, I'll talk about a team or a player who did something pretty uh, extraordinary or pretty eye-catching this week, as well as a team or player that did not uh, live up to expectations or just did not do well this season. Uh, I mean, in this week, and they should, uh, and that someone who's notable for that. Uh, So my winner for this week is James Harden, who posted a, a stat line of 48 points, Eight rebounds, three assists, and three steals in a game this past week. And he's got to be a clear frontrunner for uh, MVP this season. Um, I think this year is his year. Despite LeBron putting up his tremendous uh, season that he's consistently puts out and still gets better every season. Despite that, I still think that James Harden, that this is his year, and that I think he deserves to get it this year. Um and that sat line is just a small part of what he's been able to do with his Red Hot Rockets team, who's been who have been really well done really well this season. I think they're going to go far this year. I think they definitely have a chance to get the against the Warriors, um, and it can definitely be a very very interesting playoff this year. Um, not just between them two, but because the teams below them that aren't at that level are all very even in my eyes. I think. There's the best teams, and then there's everyone else. Um, so it's definitely going to be a, a fight for the remaining playoff spots, and as well as those playoff games. It's going to be very interesting playoffs this year because I think the the talent level of these teams and performance is pretty even. Um, and then my loser of the week is the Washington Wizards, who lost 116-69 to to the Jazz, led by Donovan Mitchell and his rise. Um, to start him. And of course, we talked about Donovan Mitchell in the last week's podcast. He's been putting up great numbers recently, even though people didn't expect a whole lot from him. He's proving people wrong, performing well. And of course, the Wizards lose by such a bad margin. Um, you've got to wonder um, can they really become the team that people have expected them to become? Um, I don't know. I really don't think that they have enough right now to be able to make that big of a splash. Of course, they put up a fight against the Cavs um, in previous years, but I'm just not sure if they have enough, and it's really showing. Um, Of course, there was Bradley Beal's 51-point performance. uh, I believe 51. 
points. Um, and that's got to be eye-catching. But, of course, that's one game, and that's not everything. Um, and one player can't win a – boost a whole team to the championship, as we've seen, um, of course, uh, through through last year with Russell Westbrook. Of course, he put up good numbers, but it just wasn't enough because you need uh, guys around you. Um, and I'm not sure if the Wizards have that. Um, so that concludes today's podcast. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening and please uh, share this podcast, like this podcast, do whatever you can to support the podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, follow me on Twitter at basketball IQ podcast. And thanks for listening guys. I'll be uh, have another podcast out recapping the, this week's uh, headlines and news in the NBA. And that'll be next Sunday uh, at three thirty. Thanks for listening again.